for those songs and for your participation in worship to our God. It is time for our kids to head off to Children's Bible Hour. Let's sing them out with, I want to know Christ and the power of His rising. Share in His suffering, conform to His death. When I pour out my life, to be filled with His Spirit, joy follows suffering, and life follows death. <clears throat> Good morning. Good to see all of you. I'm glad you're here. The Lord is glad you're here. If you would, grab your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John 4, we'll be reading verses 13 through 16 in just a moment. We continue <clears throat> to make progress through 1 John. In our series, we are calling it uh, Blessed Assurance, because John has written this epistle so that we may know several things, and we'll get a, a rundown of that list here in just a few minutes of the various things that John wants these Christians to know, and by extension, he wants us to know. Because what was true then continues to be true today. 1 John 4, verses 13 through 16. Hear now the word of the true and living God. <clears throat> By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Let us pray. <clears throat> Holy God who exists from eternity as three in one. We pray that we would see through this text your nature, your mission, and what you are doing in our lives on our behalf and to your glory. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. <clears throat> Just about everything these days is about us. When you start a social media page, there's an about you section that they want you to fill out. You can take various tests online to tell you what Disney princess or Marvel hero you are. There's the neo-gnostic Enneagram and people want to know what's your Enneagram number? What's your truth? What are your pronouns? you got all those blurry pictures of you. Let's fix that. We've got a device for that now. What are your interests? What do you love? And then there's all the self things. There's, of course, self-esteem, but self-love, self-care, self-help, self-empowerment. I have my story, my lived experience, my identity, my wants, my needs. It's kind of like, hook 
Captain Hook in the movie Hook, Dustin Hoffman's character, me, 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 my, 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 now, now, now. Because that's what it's really all about, is me. Toby Keith's song, I want to talk about me. I want to talk about my, right? And then, of course, there's all of the popular things that we say, I'm enough. I'm going to do me. I'm perfect the way I am. Again, just about everything is about us these days. But the truth is that the gospel, you ready for this? The gospel's not about you. Now, do you receive blessings and benefits from it? Absolutely. But the gospel is not about you. It's not about me. It ain't about you. It's about God. God is the center of the gospel. God is the center of reality, by the way, contrary to popular opinion. The gospel is all about God and what He has done. But again, to the point, Allie Beth Stuckey in her book, You're Not Enough and That's Okay, writes, but here's the thing, our self-sufficiency isn't the answer to insecurity. Self-love isn't the antidote to our feelings of self-loathing. Why? Because the self can't be both the problem and the solution. If our problem is that we're insecure, unfulfilled, we're not going to be able to find the antidote to those things in the same place our insecurities and fear are coming from. Our self-love isn't enough to make us confident. Our self-sufficiency isn't enough to bring us peace. Our self-care, self-improvement, self-help, self-whatever are only going to give us so many good vibes before we move on to the next self-betterment program. The self isn't enough, period. The answer to the purposelessness and hollowness we feel is found not in us, but outside of us. It is found only in God. In short, the solution is in the triune God. It's in the Father and in the Son and in the Holy Spirit. Which brings us to this text, which is deeply Trinitarian. Did you notice? God sends His Spirit. He has given us His Spirit. God sends His Son to be the Savior of the world. That is, the Father sends the Son into the world to accomplish redemption through the cross. And then the Father sends the Spirit, by the way, with the Son, who's ascended back to the Father's right hand. The Father and the Son send the Spirit to live within us. And this, John says more than once in this section, is how we know God abides in us and we in God. Look closely again at this text here as we begin in verse 13. Verse 13 tells us that God lives in us and we in God because we have the Holy Spirit. By the way, this is an echo back to chapter 3 and verse 24. The end of verse 24 of chapter 3, and by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. And, and there, in that particular verse, what was emphasized there is our receiving of that which is given, the Holy Spirit, when we were converted. That's the way it's written in the original. He gave us His Spirit. And of course, we know that when we are baptized, all of our sins are washed away, forgiven by the blood of Jesus. And we receive the Holy Spirit. Acts 2 and verse 38 tells us this. And so we have received, and again, John seems to be connecting that to our conversion. 
The way this is written here in 4 verse 13, he has given us of his spirit. And it's, again, a perfect tense verb, past completed action with present continuing results. And what it means here is that, yes, God gave us his spirit when we were converted, but we continue to possess that Holy Spirit. He continues to live and move within us, and he is the one who's producing those new desires and new affections. He's producing that fruit within us, which is his fruit, after all. And God has given us his spirit, and by this we know that we abide in him and he in us. It's connected to the promise of the presence of the Spirit within us. And by the way, again, all those things that John wants these Christians and us by extension to know, well, it began way back in chapter 2 and verse 3. Let's just briefly walk through this epistle and notice all the things John says that we know. 2 verse 3, by this we know that we have come to know Him. You know that you know Him. Can you know Him? Yes, and you can know that you know Him if we keep His commandments. And I said there, and I'll continue to say, you want to know God? Obey Him. It is through our obedience that we come to know Him. Uh, Verse 5 of the same chapter, chapter 2, verse 5, the end of verse 5, by this we may know that we are in Him. There it is again. And it's connected to walking as Jesus walked, as verse 6 explains. Come with me to 3 and verse 10. 1 John 3, verse 10, by this it is evident we are the children of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And that was the verse that kicked off this whole discussion of loving one another as we ought to. Verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Verse 19, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before Him. And it's connected to the truth that God is greater than our heart, as verse 20 says. Verse 24, by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He's given us. Again, the promise of the presence of the Spirit in our lives is how we know that we are in God. Verse 2 of chapter 4, by this we know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Yes, we can know the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of God. The end of verse 6, by this we know the Spirit of truth and the Spirit of error. We can identify them. This uh, pious pride of epistemological humility where, well, you know, we really can't be sure, we really don't know. That's, That's a form of pious pride, which is ungodly, by the way especially in light of what we're seeing here, about all the things that we can know. We see here in our text, verse 13 to chapter 4, by this we know that we abide in Him, He in us, by the Spirit He's given us. By verse 2, by this we know that we are children of God, <clears throat> when we love God and obey His commandments. And then, where all this has been driving toward, a key purpose statement in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life business of the sin of presumption. We don't want to presume anything. Right here, John says, you can know that you have eternal life. And that's supposed to be of comfort to you. That's supposed to give you confidence in the presence of God. That is supposed to assure your heart whenever your heart condemns you. Know that you have eternal life. 
Well, John wanted his readers to know. He wants us to know many things as well. And here, it's connected to his spirit abiding within us. One of the key themes that we've been exploring as we've gone through 1 John is the fellowship, the communion that we have with the triune God. And God abiding in us and we abiding in Him is language that communicates the fellowship, the communion that we do have, the reality of that communion that we have with God. And again, it's rooted in the promise of the presence of His Spirit. And indeed, we have, we currently possess as a result of God having given us His Spirit at conversion, we continue to possess His Spirit. He has taken up residence within us. As we've seen, as we've gone through this epistle, Again, the one that connects and, and sticks out in my mind right now is about obeying the commandments of God. John is going to say when we get to chapter 5, his commandments are not burdensome, not for the sanctified heart, not for the Christian, because God's Spirit has come within us and given us a new heart, taken out that heart of stone, given us a heart of flesh. We have a new desire to submit ourselves to the law of God, not to somehow distort it or reinterpret it or get rid of it entirely, but to love the commandments of God. And to live our lives in accordance with it. The unsanctified heart, the non-Christian is going to look at God's law and say, I don't want that. Indeed, they cannot submit themselves to God's law. So says Paul in Romans chapter 8. They want nothing to do with God or with His law. Why? It goes back to what we began talking about with the self. I am the master of my fate. I am the master of my destiny. And I become a law unto myself. I become autonomous, self-law. You break that word down, auto meaning self, nomos meaning law. I am autonomous. And that is, that is the idol of the current movement that is put with humanism and secularism and all the other isms that are out there these days. It is the autonomous human. That is the champion. That is the goal. That is the God of this age. But we know better. We know who the real God is, that there is only one true and eternal God, and it is the God who exists from eternity as three in one. No, make no mistake, we're not talking about three gods here. There's but one God who exists as three in one. The language that's developed historically as we finite humans attempt to capture this for in language that we can understand is there are three persons of the one being of God. That God exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, co-equal, co-eternal with one another, all working toward the same goal, which is the mutual glorification of one another. This is why the Father sends the Son to accomplish redemption. And then once the Son has ascended back to the Father's right hand, why the Father and the Son send the Spirit in the world to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, but also to send out the call of the gospel through the church to call people to faith and repentance and obedience to the gospel. And so the Spirit does, is actively at work, applying the accomplished work of the cross to all believers, all Christians, working to sanctify them, set them apart more and more according to the image of Christ, to look more and more like Jesus. Jesus, who was obedient to the Father in all things. Oh, that we could. We know that we have this, the, the world, the flesh, the devil that trips us up, and yet... The Holy Spirit is helping us to learn to sin less as we follow the sinless one. This is why God has given us, and this is how we can know. It's evident in your life. 
as you seek to do things that are pleasing to God, as you seek to live life with God. God indeed communes with you, and therefore you can never be the same. As we come to verses 14 and 15, we saw that in verse 13, God lives in us and we live in God because of the Spirit that He has given us. But now in verse 14, we see that God lives in us and we live in God if we confess that Jesus is the Son of God. And again, all this is rooted in the reality that we're talking about here of loving one another. Well, the love that we show for one another is the love that is present within and shared by the triune God. Do you realize that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have lived in this eternal relationship of mutual love one for the other? That is, the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father. And the Father loves the Spirit, and the Spirit loves the Father. And the Son loves the Spirit, and the Spirit loves the, Father, uh, loves the Son. That they exist co-eternally, loving one another, and then out of the overflow of that love, they redeem people from all over the world, across time and space and history, to share in that love. The demonstration of the love of God is evident in God sending His Son into the world to accomplish redemption on the cross. You want to know the love of God, take a good long look at the cross. And in fact, we're going to talk about in verse 16, abiding in God and, and His love abiding in us. But also, here in this text, another demonstration of the love that God has for us is that He has sent His Spirit into us. He's given us His Spirit. And as a result, yes, of course, we're going to love one another. Imperfectly, yes. But we will aim to love one another as we ought to. To love one another as Christ loved us. That's what He's called us to. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. And so we confess that Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, verse 14 begins, we have seen and we testify. Uh, very interesting the way that, that John writes this. He says, uh, we, we saw and, and we continue to see is one way of thinking about it. Or we saw and there are lasting abiding effects of the fact that we, we saw what happened. We have seen, and I believe he's connecting this to the historical reality of God, the Son, the eternal Word, taking on flesh and living among us. That that is what John and the other apostles saw when the Word became flesh, when God came near and lived among us. But then he says, and we testify. We, it is our habitual practice. We are continually telling others that the Father has sent His Son. Notice, the Father. God, the Father. And indeed, God is our Father. We can call Him Father, but only in light of the cross. And only in light of the fact that He has given us His Spirit, and it is His Spirit within us who cries out, Abba, Father. Romans chapter 8, Paul tells us that there. We have seen and we testify that the, Son, the Father has sent His Son. And by the way, we need, we need to make sure that we are as precise as John is here. It is not the Father who dies on the cross, nor is it the Spirit. It is God the Son who dies on the cross. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who accomplishes redemption. John is very specific about this. 
It is not the Son who sends the Father. The Father sends the Son into this world. And because of that sending, again, the Father sent. That means the Son came. And again, there are abiding effects in this world. One particular abiding effect is that there are a people that have been called out from the world through the gospel. There are a people who have been redeemed and that through the gospel become the people of God. The church, in other words, is a lasting abiding effect that God will always have His people here on this planet. Christ has built His church and the gates of Hades will never prevail against it. But then there are other effects that come about. And D. James Kennedy has, has written a book, If Jesus Had Never Been Born. That's the title of it. And what he does is he chronicles all of the various benefits that have come as a result of Christ having come into the world and redeeming a particular people. In other words, forming a church. You realize it is because of the church <clears throat> that many of the institutions that we have exist. That it is because of Christians that things like universities and hospitals and, and even a constitutional republic exist. That these, the, the, these are Christian ideas. And he, he documents uh, chapter after chapter all of the benefits and blessings that have come as a result of the Father sent His Son. As a result of Christ having been born in this world. It's phenomenal. The things that God has accomplished throughout history as a result of having sent His Son into the world. As a result of the gospel coming into this world. But perhaps no greater accomplishment is this. Father sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. This, uh, this phrase, this title is unique to John. He uses it here. He uses it in his gospel. It's very interesting the way this is used in the gospel. In John chapter 4, Jesus has a conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well. Remember this? The woman at the well. And as a result of her conversation with Jesus, she goes back to her town. Again, she's a Samaritan woman, so she goes to a Samaritan town. And they come out and they see Jesus. And one of the things they say is, we have come to know and believe that this is the Savior of the world. That He is Savior, not only of the Jewish people, but of the Samaritan people as well. Well, here, Savior of the world, John has in mind here, yes, that Christ is the Savior, not only of Jewish people, but of Gentile people. That the death of Christ is absolutely sufficient for all the world. But the reality is it is efficient only for those who, well, uh, confess that Jesus is the Son of God, the very next verse. And in fact, there are other things throughout this epistle. You, you have to believe that Jesus has come in the flesh. You have to believe that He is the true God, 100% fully God, 100% fully human as well. There are certain things you have to believe in order for the atoning work of Jesus to be effective on your behalf. And so it is true, yes, it is sufficient for Everybody and anybody, but it is only effective to those who by faith come to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is, I believe, the force of this. You see, there are billions of people who live on the planet right now. According to one uh, source, there are over 1,600 people groups that make up the billions of people. Did we cross the 8 billion people threshold yet? Of those who live on the planet? How many of those billions are yet unreached? 
of the 16,000 people groups, there's about 7,000 who are yet to be reached with the gospel. You know, it's a good thing, <clears throat> you, you parents here, to encourage your children to grow up and desire to be missionaries. Nothing would make me happier than for all of my sons to grow up, to leave the States, to go to a foreign mission field, and live faithfully to the Lord Jesus Christ in sharing His gospel with those people until the day they die. No, this, this passage here is a missionary text. The Father sent His Son. How can I do less? We need to be people who send our children out into the world, not to be taught by the world and to become the world, perish the thought, to go out into the world and to change the world by preaching the gospel. You want to change the world, preach the gospel. Because it's only through changing hearts through the gospel that the world is going to be changed. People talk about climate change. We've got to do a number of things to, to fix the climate. As though, by the way, that's the height of arrogance to think that we, we finite humans, have more impact on this earth than, say, the sun, okay, and all the solar stuff that happens. I digress. We've got to do something to change the world. Otherwise, we've only got a short amount of time. You want to do something? Change the world, not through affecting the climate. Change the world by affecting people with Christ and His gospel. And if you want to recycle and all that, God, God be with you, all right? God bless you in that. But there is no amount of recycling that is going to save this world. We've got to save the planet and preach the gospel. Because no amount of driving electric vehicles is going to do that. This, by the world, this world's going out of business. It's, it's got a shelf life. It will be burned up with fire at the end of time. The elements themselves will come undone. Read 2 Peter 3. The gospel will never go out of business. And the love of God is going on to eternity. It's the only love that's going to be there at the end of time. Preach the gospel. And hold fast to your confession. Verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God. God abides in Him and He in us. There it is. You want the indwelling, abiding presence of God in you? Confess Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And be prepared for the backlash that's going to come. Because the world hates Jesus. He knew it when He was here. He said it. And then He turns around and says, if, if you're my disciples, don't be surprised that the world's going to hate you. Nothing is more offensive to unregenerate people People who are lost and dead in their trespasses and sins than to say that there's only one Savior and it's Jesus Christ who is the Son of God. But that is the confession that we hold to and we must hold fast to it. Uh, you have your finger there in 1 John 4. Keep it there and look briefly at Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. Notice this. And since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. By the way, that's the reality. We do. We do have this great high priest who's interceding on our behalf with the Father. Since that's the case, let us hold fast our confession. Here's the writer of Hebrews writing to Jewish Christians, some of whom are abandoning the faith. 
going back to the former ways. And he's saying, don't do that. Don't turn loose. You know, uh, my ring's a little loose here. Uh, it's tungsten carbide, and, and one of the reasons I got it so loose is in case I jam this, I want to be able to rip this off as fast as I can so it doesn't swell up. And Anyway, I'm weird. Um, one, of the things, one of the things my boys like to do is they like to try and get this ring off. I'll like kind of flex my finger a little bit and bend it and all that. Sometimes I'll take it off and I'll put it in my hand and I'll close my hand and then they'll try to pry it up, you know, and, and they get a pinky up and they try to move on to the ring finger and I put the pinky back down, you know, and try to... That's what the world wants to do with your faith. You're holding to your faith and the world in a number of ways is trying to tear your fingers off your faith if they can and rob you of that. If it's not the world, it's the devil and all the hordes of hell with him. The world, the flesh, the devil is trying to pry your faith out of your hands. Hold fast your confession. Don't turn loose of your confession that you have this high priest who is the Son of God. By the way, there are a number of subtle ways that the world and even certain so-called Christians will try and do this. Man, I, I see it all the time now where, where people will set up this false dichotomy. And what I mean is they'll say things like, well, you know, it's Jesus who's really the Word of God. This, this is, this is a, it's a library of documents, of, of ancient Near Eastern documents. Um, and, and nowhere in here does it say that, it, does it call itself the Bible? And that, that word scripture, do you know that doesn't really appear in the Bible? It, originally it means writings. See the subtle stuff that's going on here? Because Jesus, he's the word of God. There's a denigration and a downplaying and a degradation that's happening right now concerning this book, this book of books. It is true. It is a library, uh, a reliable collection of historical documents written down by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses that report supernatural events in keeping with fulfillment of specific prophecies, but they also claim to be divine rather than human. No prophecy of Scripture originated in the will of humans. It originated in the will of God. He moved human authors to write exactly what He wanted them to write. This is, well, we were just in Hebrews chapter 4. Back up one verse, two verses to verse 12. He's just, in, in, in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, he has just, the author has just worked through an exposition, a Holy Spirit-inspired exposition of Psalm 95. That's Old Testament. That's Scripture. Sacred writings. Verse 12, he says, For the Word of God. What's he talking about there? He's talking about Scripture. He's talking about these writings. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It is God's Word, and we have it right here. All of this, all Scripture, is breathed out by God. This is why I have been diligent earlier this year during the sermons, Monday nights during the broadcast, to emphasize this. It is because 
there are those who want to denigrate, dismiss, downgrade, uh, degrade this as, well, is it really the Word of God? And we need to say, amen, absolutely, it is the Word of God. Not to say that Christ isn't the Word of God. He's the Word of God in flesh. This is the Word of God inscripturated. It's the written Word of God. And that's the enfleshed Word of God. Don't turn loose of your confession. By the way, how do you even know that Jesus is the Word of God? God told you through His written Word. So I don't... That's what you get today with a lot of progressive Christianity, with the the deconstruction movement, those who are deconstructing faith. And, uh, well, in case you can't tell, I'm again it, okay? Verse 16. We, we, God lives in us and we in Him because He's given us His Holy Spirit, because we confess Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 16, God lives in us and we live in God because we know the Father's love. So, we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. And, and God here is the Father. The Father, He sent His Son. The Father has given us His Spirit. And here the Father loves us, the love that he has for us. And this is just an extension of what we talked about last week. God so loved us. Well, here it is again. He loved us. He sent his son. He sent his spirit. That is how we know. And that is how we believe that uh, God loves us. It is by his son and by his spirit. It is interesting, the connection here between knowledge and faith. We have come to know and believe. The force of this is difficult to capture in English, but it's something to the effect of we have come to know and continue to know, we have come to believe and continue to believe. Okay? That's the force of what John is writing here. And also the construction of this, knowledge and faith go together. You can't divorce one from the other. And come with me to John chapter 6, because there's a similar statement in John chapter 6 and verse 69. This, of course, Jesus, an extended teaching in a synagogue on the Sabbath. There he says, I'm the bread of life, and you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And, and the people that heard that, it was a hard saying, many of them no longer walked with him, we're told in uh, verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back, no longer walked with him. Jesus turns to the 12 and says, you going too? Do you want to go away as well? <clears throat> Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And notice verse 69, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of Israel. So faith first, now, and then knowledge. And it's, it's the exact same strength, uh, written the exact same way. We have come to believe and continue to believe, and we have come to know and continue to know. And I think it's intentional to emphasize here, knowledge and faith, they, they've got to go together. Peter recognizes it, John here recognizes it, and they say virtually the same thing, though the order is 
uh, it, uh, uh, is uh, flipped here by John, it still emphasizes the nature of faith and knowledge, which is important for us because so many people want to talk about faith. That's just a leap in the dark. Not so fast because there are certain things that I know, and I know that I know them, and I believe, and I continue to believe them. There are certain things I have come to believe, and I continue to believe them, and certain things that I know, and I continue to know. However you want to say that, I don't think it necessarily matters, but that's the reality of this. And that's the connection between faith and knowledge here. And so we can know the love that God has for us, and we can, we can believe and continue to believe the love that God has for us, even though, I'm going to tell you right now, man, it's hard to believe that God loves someone like me. And you know this as well because of what you've done. And it's hard to believe he really does love me. But he does. He does love you just like that. Uh, the rest of the verse, God is love. We talked about that at some length last week, that this is a characteristic, an attribute of God, and you can't reverse it. Okay? Uh, this, you can't convert it to love is God because that would be idolatry. It's, it's actually a logical error. And I looked it up earlier this week, and I didn't write it down, and now I forget what it's called. But you can't, you can't inverse this. Um, that's, that's a logical error here. And again, for us, end up with idolatry. Love is not God, but God is love. Whoever abides in love, the one abiding, this is a present tense thing. You don't stop dwelling in, abiding in, living in love. <clears throat> Contextually, what kind of love? Love for God? Sure. Contextually, love for one another is under discussion here. And that's going to be the discussion all the way through to, chapter, uh, to verse 21, is the love that we ought to have for the church, for one another. And, and indeed, we do love one another. So we abide in this love, and you do that. Well, whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. All of this, again, is fellowship language. Let me just enforce one more thing here. The abiding, all, of, all the abiding that John has been talking about here, about God abides in us and we abide in God, all of that is a present reality. It's written in the present tense. Right now, God really does, the triune God really does live here. He lives here, he lives there, here with all of us, right? He lives, he dwells, he abides in us. Individually, yes. Collectively, absolutely. God really does commune with us. In just a couple short songs, we are going to gather around this table. And one of us is going to come up here and lead the communion thought. But the reality is, with the eyes of faith, we know Christ is host of this table. And we, we are currently in the presence of God. He's dwell, he lives right here with us. And by the way, we will take him with us when we go out these doors. And God abides in us and we in God Tuesday mornings and Thursday afternoons and Saturday nights. And this is something we need to keep before us constantly. That God 
lives with us. We live with God. He has taken up permanent residence in us. Live up to that high and holy calling. That's what John is saying here. What he's pointing these Christians to, he's pointing us to as well. The high and holy calling that we have. Again, so much in this world, in modern society, modern culture, wants to put the spotlight right here on me, me, my, my, and I, I. But the reality is the gospel and everything about the gospel is about God. God sent God to die in our place on the cross for our sins. And then God sends God to live within us and to, uh, as he lives within us, to sanctify us, to set us apart, to move us and mold us into the image and shape of Christ, to be transformed from one degree of glory to another degree of glory to another degree of glory until one day when God sends God back, when Jesus returns. And then God glorifies himself by glorifying his people. It's all about God, the triune God, the three-in-one God that we love, serve, and worship. Let's commit this to prayer. Holy God who exists eternally as three in one, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray that we would keep ever before us the communion that we share with you on a day-to-day, hour-by-hour, minute-by-minute, moment-by-moment relationship that we have with you. Because we dare not take one step without you. We proclaim the mystery of faith, that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. And in light of his return, Father, we pray that by your Spirit, we would be the kind of people that you would have us to be. Glory to the Father, to the Son, to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and evermore shall be, we pray. Amen. My friend, you have heard the gospel. What God has done on your behalf through Christ on the cross. And if you you are experiencing conviction because of your sins, do not flee from that. Do not try and squelch that. That is a good thing, my friend. Because that is God, the Holy Spirit, bringing conviction to your heart. And in a moment, we're going to sing a song. We call it the Song of Invitation Song. And it's designed to invite you to come forward and share these things. They're on your heart. And if this morning you desire to put Christ on in baptism, we can help you with that. As you turn away from sin and confess Jesus Christ as Lord, you desire to be obedient to Him by being baptized, immersed in water, to have all your sins washed away by the blood of Jesus, raised to live a new life 
with the Holy Spirit living within you? Again, we can help you with that this morning. In a moment when Russ leads us, that's your opportunity to come forward and express these things that are on your heart. Brothers and sisters, we've, many of us, most of us, we've done that. We've been obedient to the call of the gospel. But as you consider what we've talked about this morning, God abiding in you, you abiding in God, as you examine your life, is there an area where you realize, I've fallen short here, whatever it may be. I've not lived up to that high and holy calling. I have sinned, I've fallen short of the glory of God. And I need the help that comes from God and from my brothers and sisters. I want to seek the forgiveness that comes from God through the blood of Christ. In a moment, you know that when Russ leads us, that's your opportunity as well to come forward and share the things that are on your heart. Unburden your heart before the throne of grace. See, that's one of the things, if you keep reading there in Hebrews chapter 4, we can have confidence, boldness, to draw near to the throne of grace in time of need. Maybe that time of need is this morning, right now. Again, when we stand and sing, just make your way forward and we can do that. Maybe it's something of a personal nature, you want a private setting. One of our shepherds can meet you in the conference room. And you can share with them what's on your heart, what's on your mind. They'll do the same thing there that we do here, surround you with love, lift you up in prayer to our Father in heaven. But the lesson is yours and the invitation is open. Why don't you come right now while we stand and as we sing.